Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kalis Stutzer from the Culture Talks podcast. We are back again with another episode, and I'm excited to tell you that we're bringing back one of your guys' favorites. Um, one of the individuals that a lot of people really enjoyed, um, one of the individuals that I had a lot of people say they wrote notes during the episode on, and one of the individuals with one of the higher plays um, in regards to the past episodes I've had. So we decided we were going to bring him back on. Um, I'm excited for you guys to listen to this conversation. Um, he's a great gentleman, um, and this gentleman is Brenova Diva, reigning from Toronto, we had him on a few episodes ago, so make sure you go check that out. Um, now, this guy is just a good human in general, but if we want to talk about his, um, you know, what he does, he's a results-driven marketer with a focus on demand generation and driving brand awareness. But aside from that little tagline, he's just an overall great marketer, great individual, always studying the game, always learning more, always reading always ready to share new knowledge, and um, he's just overall solid marketing professional. And if any of you individuals are interested in business, um, in building a brand, and building a business, and building anything that requires marketing or anything in that world, I would highly suggest you continue listening. With that being said, thank you for tapping back into the Culture Talks. We're going to have a quick ad, and then we will be straight into the podcast. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. So could you briefly kind of just cover some of the positions you've had since you got into the industry? You don't have to go in depth, but just yeah. briefly cover some of the companies you worked for and whatever your title was, and then we'll jump into the first question. Sure. So when I started out, like in the beginning, it was it was internship roles. So Habitat for Humanity and Staples, which was the B2B side of it. So those are all inter- internship roles. And you move like naturally coordinator and then specialist and associate and stuff like that. But where I've been kind of lucky in my career is that being able to get a breadth of knowledge with industry. So for instance, like banking and not-for-profit and retail and being able to see that. And then the thing that's been really helpful in my career is that I've been able to see businesses at different stages. So, you know, like the growth stage, the scale-up stage, the expansion, some, some businesses have reached maturity and then they were on the decline um, so being able to see all those stages, because as, an, as a marketer, you can't take a cookie cutter approach to all of these things and just try to make everything work. You know that at the growth stage, what you got to do there versus what you can do at the scaling stage is two different things because you're, you know, the capital that you have, the resources that you have, the, where the business is, is all, all of those things are different. So, I mean, in a nutshell, like, I think for me, it's just been being able to progress that way and, and see these different industries has been huge. Man, and I think that's an important point that I think we may have covered in our last podcast, but just to Mm -hmm. kind of repeat again, um, the importance of having a broad foundation of skills when you're like working your way up in any business or just like having a broad foundation of skills generally, because you can use those, like having a breadth of knowledge, you can use that to like direct it towards your path, the thing that you find is your one thing later in the, later in your life. So it's kind of like just over like five years okay, I have a hammer, put it in the toolbox. Okay, I have a screwdriver, put it in the toolbox. Okay, I have a tape, put it in the, uh, in the toolbox. And over time, you develop enough tools that you can utilize in a big job that you decide to commit to at some point. So I think it's just important to talk about how 
having a broad foundation of knowledge isn't a bad thing, which I feel like sometimes people can make it feel like, you know, oh, no, you have to focus on one thing from when you yeah. make a decision at 14 on what you want to do and stick with yeah. that the rest of your life. It's like, nah, man, yeah. get some experience in different worlds and you'll be able to tailor knowledge from each world to a specific mm-hmm. task. For sure. And like, that's something like if you watch uh, Gary Vee, he always says like, is like taste a lot, like taste a lot of different things. So you get an idea of what it is that you, that you enjoy. So you could say that you, I don't know, you like marketing, but in marketing, there's the creative, there's the analytics, there's so many different avenues that you can go down that you need to make sure that you understand what it is you like. And the only way you can understand what you like is by trying all of these things, right? You can't necessarily just read it in a book and then say, okay, I think I like this. And then you go to do it. And and that world is so different than what you got taught in the book, right? So your ability to go and try different avenues but commit to let's say like the industry that that's that's an important thing to be doing and speaking of like your first few years in marketing like what are some of the major lessons you feel like you learned or your favorite lessons you've learned when you first got into the industry yeah so when i first came in i think the biggest thing i think we talked about this a little bit last time was just that self-education part sometimes you need to be able to go into a particular industry or a role and you need to be able to hit the ground running so you know, like most times you may be used to like two or three weeks, just purely training, but you need to be able to figure things out on your own. That was probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned because within marketing, there's so many programs you can use. I think there was like a number around like 5,000 plus programs that, you know, marketers may use. They're not using obviously all 5,000, but there's just, that, that's the total number, let's say. Um, So your ability to teach yourself and educate yourself on those things is so important because if you can do that, you know, like right now you put yourself, you know, several months ahead of, of, of that learning curve and that really helps you take off at a faster speed and contribute at a faster speed. So that was when I first came in, that was probably the most important lesson that I'd learned. Got you. Man, I remember it, it's it's funny. It's kind of going back to just kind of what we just talked about the question before, but it's funny how many different things that I like jumped around on, like wanting to do growing up, and, like finding different, how many different variations there are in, in specific careers. Like you're saying in marketing, you can go into analytics, you can go into creative, you can go into a multitude of things. If you're a trainer, you can go into training, uh, you know, focusing on older adults. You can go into focusing on uh, prenatal health. You can like, Go and then a doctor and there's like so many different things teachers like there's so many different things you can you can jump into and then there's just so many lessons you learn from each experience so I'm sure like working for the different companies that you worked for a lot I'm sure there's many more lessons that you learned in the first few years because of your yeah. different experiences from those different companies so I wanted to ask you a question about segmentation so the more specific question is what is market segmentation and how important is it when putting together a marketing plan or campaign I'm somewhat familiar with segmentation but definitely wanted to ask you yeah so segmentation is if you think of let's say there are a hundred thousand people in this uh, audience that you have segmentation is essentially just creating subgroups of that 100,000 based on shared characteristics. So you might say, I want to specifically reach out to people who are in the Toronto area that uh, went to university that are of this age, and then now they share um, specific characteristics. And what that allows you to do is that you now, let's say you have a group A and then you have a, a group B. So it's a different city, different school and stuff like that. 
they both have different pain points and they have different needs in each of these groups. In each of these groups. So what it allows you to do is you can now target specific to these people. So your messaging, your copy, what you're offering, the way that you pitch your product is all tailored to that specific group. If you think about it nowadays, like, you know, when you're on your phone and all the apps that you use, when you go on YouTube, TV, when you're traveling, there's so many ads, there's so much noise that's happening. And if I were a marketer and I'm just sending you this generic message, this blanket statement that I hope will appeal to everybody, if I'm doing that, chances are people are going to tune me out because there's already 10 million messages coming towards them. So if you can specifically hone in on call us, you're going through this right now. I know like this, you know, with this podcast, you need this specific mic to do X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. You're going to probably listen because I got your attention because I figured out your pain point, right? So that is what the importance of something like segmentation does for you. It's one of the first steps in really understanding your audience. And would you say that that's a super important concept for anybody that's about to start like a business or something of that nature? So if I'm about to start a t-shirt company and I'm based out of Kansas City, like is segmentation something that I need to look at? Oh, for sure. Uh, you, you really should. Uh, there's, especially when you're starting off a business, there's a, it's called a, a rule of first 10. So that's somebody named Seth Godin. He's, he's one of the most famous and, and successful marketers. But that for, rule of first 10 is finding just 10 people within your network that need what you have. But that takes segmentation, right? Like you need to understand if I know 100 people, I need to understand who would want, let's say, this T-shirt. You know, it's people like if you're looking at people who are into fashion of this specific age, things like that, you need to be able to understand who that group is and then break those things down. So because otherwise you're going to let's say you might go out and produce 500 T-shirts thinking that this entire audience is going to want it. But you didn't take the time to understand that it's actually the subset of your friends that would love to wear this specific T-shirt. So. That's why segmentation, you, you absolutely need to, to focus on it and think about it, especially if you're an entrepreneur uh, starting at the beginning or you have successfully grown your company. In, in either situation, you should always look at segmentation. Love it. Love it. With segmentation, are there like specific tools that uh, one uses to uh, basically, I don't know how to define it any further, but like is there some yeah. types of tools to, uh, that people use to segment um, that are different or to analyze different types of segmenting, such as demographics, psychographics, geographic. Like, are there specific tools a marketing company uses or is it, how does that work? Yeah. So there, there are tools that you can use. So for me, for instance, like I use, um, there's a customer relationship management tool, right? So what that is, is like, it's like Salesforce. It basically houses all of your customers and your prospects all into one specific area. And then what you could do is run filters. So those leads and all of that information, you can filter that and you can look at, you can put in filters like, you know, what industry are they in? What title do they have? What city are they in? And, and that allows you to segment your audience and understand who is in that audience and then target them specifically. And then when you're launching things like, you know, Facebook ads, uh, LinkedIn ads, all of that stuff, you can still segment by audience. And that's why these tools are so powerful uh, because you have the ability to target by industry. You can target by specific titles. Do they follow specific associations? These platforms are so rich with data that you can get so granular with who you're trying to speak to. So all of these, yeah, they allow you to, to segment and then they can go a step further is when you put in this specific audience and 
you've uploaded, let's say, a specific list of prospects, they allow you to create what's called lookalike audiences so they can match to the segment that you've created and find additional people who fit in that group that you're trying to target. Can you like uh, uh, dive a little bit deeper into lookalike audiences? Because the reason I asked that is because like I've been doing some Facebook marketing courses recently with uh, another gentleman. Anyways, I just can't seem to grasp that what that is. So like you can't get a lookalike audience until you launch your first couple ads, correct? You've got to create the audience first and then it can like it basically think of it as like almost like an algorithm. It needs to understand who are those people before it can even tell you, Hey, I, I found a, a, another group of people. So at the most simplest form, it's just literally you have to create an audience and it has to understand who that audience is in order to now match it to somebody else. Okay. Got you. One thing, um, speaking of that when Facebook ads that I really like about Facebook ads in, in, in terms of like granular, the word granular, you say like super intricate is um, yeah. the ability to target or advertise to individuals who have similar pages as yourself to their audience. So like if you're Ani Hustles or something, right, you can like target to, you can like send Facebook ads to like Gary Vaynerchuk's audience page and then you can be like Prince Donnell as well and then it'll be like, okay, well these people follow Prince Donnell and they follow Gary Vaynerchuk and that like targets your audience. It makes it even stronger with target audience. So I thought that was dope when I was messing around with that recently. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's so powerful because you have these groups that already that have these individuals that are high intent individuals, right? Like they are looking for motivational content. So rather than trying to figure it out on your own, if you can find a group that kind of matches and parallels what you do, you can simply target them. That's so powerful because it saves you so much work from having to figure out what are the keywords that people who are looking up motivational content would use. And it, you're literally just finding them right away. So all you need to do is, is just look up who does something kind of similar to you and then target based on that. But yeah, it's like, those are such powerful tools to use and they're so rich with data and information and insights. But yeah, they're, they're great. And things like Facebook are, are such low cost too, right? You could run a Facebook ad for $5 a day. I mean, it's, it may not get the same traction as if you had a higher budget, but the fact that you have the option is, is, is incredible. So for an individual, there's been so much talk in the world right now about ownership. When we think about ownership, most people think real estate. Most people think vehicles. Most people think tangible assets. But when we think about social media and social platforms, what would you say or what are some ways that people who build their own app or build their own social media platform can gather information on the, their, their customers? So like Ryan Leslie, producer, like has like an app where he like gets like information from people who are his fans and then he can like target those fans or he can text them directly, things like that. Like I guess what I'm trying to ask is what are some like uh, ways – a person who wants to build their own app can get information. What are some questions they should be asking the potential customer? Like, are you, should you be asking what job, what industry do you work in? Um, should you be asking how old are you? Should you be asking race, color, like their color of their skin? Like what, do you get what my question is? Or enough, you got, you got to explain it to me one more time. So yeah. you're, you're basically trying to figure out if you're starting an app, how do you figure out the people that should be on that app? So probably yes. I'm going to rephrase it one more time. So, okay. 
So we know on Facebook that we have a platform that has everything we need in regards to like when we have ads, we can target a specific audience. We can target a like an age group. Like they have different things you can select. I want 18 to 54. I want people who live in Pittsburgh and Miami. I want people who follow Gary Vaynerchuk. So if you were to build your own platform, how do you gather data from individuals who come on your platform? Like how do, how do they do that? But if I download somebody's app, for example, on Snapchat, when I download Snapchat, it asks me my age, it asks me my name, but it doesn't really ask me anything else. How would they be able to target me if they were trying to like advertise something if all they know is that I'm 23 and my name's Carlos? Yeah. Those are things that I think a lot of those companies like Instagram, Snapchat, all these companies, they keep very, very private. But you've seen in recent years, there's these privacy issues that have come up with how are they collecting data. But from my understanding is like they're not necessarily always just collecting demographic data, right? So they're not just looking at your age or Collis is a male and he lives in Kansas. Like that's great information to have, but I think what they're looking more at is your behavioral data. So we find that this age group, 20 to 25 year old individuals are consuming this specific type of content. They are more inclined to if I'm able to track your whole buyer journey, it's like he's consuming this amount of data on cars. And now he, based on this data, we can tell that he's in the market for a car. And now business may be able to, I, I don't know how they're doing it in the back end, but a business can leverage that data and say, well, this is a high intent person looking for a car. So let's, let's target them on Google ads with, with cars, right? So they're really looking more at your behavior than, than anything because your behavior suggests to them like what, what stage you're at, what are you looking for, what are you consuming? And based on that, now other companies can use that data to target them. That, that's my understanding of how, how they're using that and they're collecting that data. And so that's kind of why when you're sitting with your friends on your phone and you're like, man, I really want a Mercedes Benz or something. And then like yeah. a little bit later, you're on oh, Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You see Mercedes Benz ads. Yeah, no, I find that all the time. I find every time like I talk about something, I'll see it pop up on YouTube. But I don't really know how that part works, but it, it can't be a coincidence if everybody's saying it, right? Right. And then also, I mean, the same goes for like, if you search something on your, on your Safari, on your phone, like about something, something, you're going to see an ad about that on your Facebook or Instagram. And that's technically, okay, cool. I'm just kind of trying yeah. to put together what you said and then think about yeah. it. When you mentioned Facebook, you reminded me of something that I, a new word I learned. So I never knew what copy really was until like I was going making a Facebook ad and it was like, all right, here's where you write your copy. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's yeah. basically <laughs> a cat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so can you talk a little bit about what copy is and then how important it is when you're marketing, trying to market something? Yeah. Copy is one of the most important elements. Cause think of that as like your conversation with the person, right? With your audience. So there's images, there's copy, there's, there's a, a bunch of elements and, Copy is so important because if you think again about all of the messages that you get in a day when you're going about your day and the, a number of advertising messages, but if somebody could speak to you in a way that captures your attention, so touching on the pain points of that specific segment in the right way, you see a lot of people using this conversational tone now because nobody really wants to speak to a corporation. So they want to feel like I'm speaking in a one-to-one -one relationship. So you have in a lot of companies, you have copywriters, people who are able to, to write amazing copy and are just incredible writers. So that's where copy comes in. And I think that one of the most famous 
automobile ads, if not the most famous, is one written by an advertiser named David Ogilvy. So he's considered one of the greatest advertisers in history. So he was he was around in like the 50s and the 60s, and he wrote one for Rolls Royce. So he wrote um, at 60 kilometers an hour, the fastest uh, or the, the loudest thing about this car is the electrical clock. And that at the time was just, it, people loved what he wrote. And it was considered just an amazing ad because he literally took this one or two sentences and summed up a Rolls Royce for you. From that, what you can infer from that is, you know, when you think Rolls Royce, you think about elegance and luxury and, and craftsmanship. And he wrote this, this copy, but all of that copy was based on him researching, going and speaking to the people at Rolls Royce, figuring out what it is about a Rolls Royce that you really love. And then he basically distilled that whole thing down into two simple sentences. And to this day, it's considered one of the best written advertisements in history. So that's why copy is so important because it really communicates who you are as a brand. It helps cut through noise. And then it really, I, I think outside of the image is one of the very first touch points that you have with a customer in, in any type of messaging. Just to touch on a little bit deeper. So when, when people are scrolling through Facebook and they see an ad and it's like bolded and it's like the best something in the market, why you should be the coolest guy in your classroom. Like that's yeah, what copy yeah. is, right? It's basically the caption yeah. kind of for an ad. Is that kind of what it is? Copy could even be like, think of like YouTube clickbait ads, right? Mm, yeah. I made a million dollars in a year and then everybody clicks it. So the copy is what really got your attention. You're like, oh, wow, how did he make a million dollars in a year? But then obviously the video has to, has to match, if not surpass what you promised. If you make this promise, here's how I did this really fast. The expectation is you're going to teach me how to do that. So if what you've given them doesn't live up to that promise, then you lose the customer. So you also have to be careful with how you write your copy and what you say, because the copy is kind of sometimes the gate into what you're doing but you have to make sure that you're living up to what that expectation is as well. I love that you said that because you basically kind of answered two questions I was going to have after okay. that about how you were going to yeah. analyze the effectiveness of copy. And that right there kind of answers that. It's like if you're seeing you're losing customers or you're seeing your comment section is filled with like not a single positive comment, you're just like, yo, you lied to us or this is just, yeah. or in the reviews, he said he was going to teach me fast, but it was actually super slow and like, yeah, yeah, things like yeah. that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I've I've been like learning about how to like write good copy and how the importance of like or like the somewhat importance of bolded letters at certain moments and like where to throw in capitals, where to you know what I'm saying. Just interesting things. So if you were to give like a few tips on how to write good copy, what would you say? For me, I would like being a marketer, I would never say that I'm like the greatest copywriter or anything like that because I, I work with people who write copy and, and work together or they may help me with some stuff. A lot of what I've learned about writing really good copy is one is don't always try to recreate the wheel, right? Like don't, you don't have to invent the best way to say something. Look for inspiration through how other companies that you admire are speaking to their customers. And kind of like what you were talking about before, like put it in your toolbox and have those things. One of the things, one tip might be like, if you're creating content marketing, think about people love lists because it's like organized in their mind. And it's like, I can go one, two, three, four, five. I can skim all the content. I can get exactly what I want. So think about, you know, if you're writing something, call us. Like if you're doing it, you're, you're, you might say like five ways to increase 
viewership or the number of listeners on my YouTube video or podcast. And then somebody who's building their own platform will, will want to click that because like, oh, he's giving me five things I, that I, I have these takeaways that I could get once I finish reading it. So that's one thing. Think about also being conversational in your tone. I think that's a, a, a shift that we've seen a lot in recent years, especially from like tech companies and, and a lot of companies is, is like speaking to somebody like a human being the same way that we would speak in conversation. They're also speaking like that in, in their copy and just keep it. I think sometimes it, it's important to be really succinct with what you're saying. Cause again, going back to my old previous point was there's so much noise. There's so much traffic and messages around a, a particular topic it's hard to hold people's attention for a long time. So if you can write copy that gets to the point and kind of cut out all the fluff, I think that really helps with capturing people's attention and holding people's attention. I love it. I love it. And speaking of content marketing, what are your thoughts on content marketing versus email marketing versus direct mail versus uh, billboards? Like kind of just how would you rank some of those? So content marketing is so critical. That is one of the most important things that you could do because think of when you're selling something to somebody, what you're doing is you're building a relationship with them, right? Like you're not going to go buy something from somebody that if I walked up to you on the street and I said, do you want to buy this? And it was like a hundred bucks. You have no idea who I am. You just see the product. So there's not enough information for you to be able to, to make an informed decision and say, yeah, I want to buy that. And as you increase the ticket price of your item, it's going to take longer for somebody to make a decision naturally because you're spending more money. So content marketing is important because it builds a relationship. It builds uh, awareness. And I think the underlying part of content marketing is you're building value. So I heard this there. Uh, I can't remember the, the marketer's name, but they call him like the godfather of marketing. And he was saying, um, have, you seen the, have you seen the godfather, Alex? Yes, yes. But like All right, a so, while ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So like the first five minutes of the Godfather, he said that that's the greatest explanation of content marketing. So in the beginning, his daughter's getting married, like the lead kind of the boss of all of it is uh, his daughter's getting married. And then he has a guest come to him in his office and say, I need a favor. And he said, yeah, uh, he was he was giving out favors to everybody right during his, his daughter's wedding. And then at the end, he said, there will come a time where I have to ask you for a favor. And the, so the marketer, I, I need to get you his name, but he was saying that this is the greatest explanation of content marketing because what it's saying is that you drive value, you drive value and you build equity with somebody through delivering value through content. And then there will come a time where you will say, I've built enough equity and I've built enough value with this individual that I can now, I, I have earned the right to now ask you, would you like to try this offer or would you like to purchase this product because I've done so much in terms of driving you value. So that's how you can think of content marketing. That's why it's so important. Email marketing, again, that's important. Like if we're looking at back to ownership, you have to think about email and being able to access, have direct access to your audience as ownership. Because if you look at Instagram and Facebook and Google ads and all of these platforms are all amazing platforms, but also understand that they monetize these platforms. They've built these large followings of, of individuals and now they are charging you to access and have communication with them. So, and that price will only go up over time if they're a good platform. 
And so it's really important that you own your own platform. Email, there's nobody in the middle that's going to charge you to speak to your customer. And the return on email is for every dollar that you invest, the, uh, the return on that is $42. There's no other platform that has the same ROI. So that's why email is so impactful. And then direct mail, I would say that there's been more, I, I've seen less of it in the industry. I think because of the cost that's associated with, with it, the resources in terms of the time that goes into shipping things out. And then also you can't measure it for marketers. A, a lot of the shift has been being able to measure and, and analyze what the return is on something. And it's a little bit harder to do with direct mail unless you create like a unique link for your direct mail program. I wouldn't say it's new, but the area that people should be looking at is text-based marketing. So you see like a lot of your favorite artists saying, text me or Gary Vee saying, text me uh, at this number because now I have direct access. And the reason being is because there was a time where email was, you know, 80, 90, 100% open rates. But as more and more and more people started receiving emails that a great rate is now, depending on industry, could be 20%. But if you get a text message from me, chances are 90 to 95% is you're going to open that, that text message and read it. So it's important to think about all of these different platforms in terms of ownership and which one do I have to pay to access my audience and how that becomes effective in terms of your return on investment for each of these, these platforms. That was a long-winded answer there. <laughs> no, no, that was good. So I'm going to start at some of the thoughts that I had during that. So what you were saying about the beginning of The Godfather kind of reminded me about the concept of jab, 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 right hook by Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm -hmm. It's just like constantly jabbing, 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 and making sure when you throw that right hook, it's the right time. And he's yeah. always talking about how the problem with a lot of folks is like you throwing the right hook too damn early. Like Yeah, yeah. You're either throwing it too early or way too late, but most of the time it's way too early. <laughs> like, yeah, people will see you on Facebook once and you're already in their DM. Like you see them on Instagram one day and you're already in their DM. Like, hey, you should buy this product. Like they don't know anything about you. They haven't, yeah. you haven't provided them with anything. If all your, speaking of content, if all your Instagram page is just you at the beach with your girlfriend and you drinking water or drinking beer at the club with your friends, yet you're trying to sell people your, your new app. Like what value, <laughs> what value have you brought them? What, what attention are you, are you grabbing? Like nobody's going to buy that. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. It's like, there's, I, I think Seth Godin said it best is like people buy from you based on familiarity and, and awareness. And the only thing, the only way to do that is you got to drive value for people. Right. And they need to start trusting you in order to build trust. You have to be able to, to deliver them value. So that's why something like content marketing is so important because you, you built that value, you built equity with someone and you earned the right to ask for the sale at that point. So that's why, that's why you really want to think about content marketing. That's why you see on, on Instagram, people putting out so much content and just on the topic of content, like the, the three ways you can think about it is, content is only to, you can inspire, you can educate, or you can entertain, or you can, you can mix those things. But if you, if you really break down Instagram and, and the content that people put out, it's, it's only those three categories, right? But that's how they build trust. And then that's how they're able to sell you a course or a subscription model or a product or a service. But that's an important way to think about how you deliver value to, to a prospect or a customer, whoever it may be. And would you say that with these different types of marketing, so content marketing, email marketing, direct mail, and text-based marketing, would you say that the effectiveness of each one depends on the industry it's being used in? 
Yeah, for sure. So if you are, let's say, in a B2B industry, it's a little bit a longer sales cycle. You may have an older customer base that doesn't engage using text-based marketing. Maybe they use email. So you really, again, that goes back to understanding who is your target market, who is your ideal client, and understanding how do they consume information and how do they make their purchase decisions. So you pick your channel based on the way that your prospect or your customer consumes information. I love it. So you kind of just speaking of like your target market. So say somebody's watching this or listening to this right now at home and they're um, starting cup company. Like they're going to start selling uh, sports teams on cups. Okay. Yeah. What's the process an individual goes through to discover their target market or their target audience? Like, I've always like, I don't know, that just always is confusing to me. Obviously, you know, the first thing's off top. First off, sports fans, yeah. duh. Yeah. Sports yeah. fans. But then, like, how do you know what cities you should be looking at or what? I know you mentioned that uh, some companies gather data via what you search, what you spend the most time on, what you clicked on on their website. But if you don't, yeah. if you don't have any of that yet, like you're just getting started, you don't have a yeah. website to attract data. How, what are some ways people can try to discover their target audience? Or I guess the process. Yeah, like I think one is just understanding what it is. I think you need to start backwards. Like look at what it what is it that you're offering. So what did it what is it about your cup that is different from the let's say hundreds or thousands of other cups that people are, are selling? So let's say it's made from all natural materials, um, it's sourced from a specific area, you give back to charity. So you figure out, you look at the market and you understand, well, in this market, there's a hundred other competitors, but I'm the only person who's really focused on something powerful. Like look at, look at Jaden Smith. He sells just water. Like we're talking about selling water and he's, I, I think he has like a highly successful uh, company. And what he's doing is, is he's really uh, focusing on where he's sourcing the water from. I think he's focusing on all natural materials. Um, it's all part of a larger cause, right? It's not just about drinking the water. And that's how he differentiates himself from an Aquafina or Fiji water or, you know, Nestle water is, is what he's, the impact that he's trying to have on the world. And then once you understand who you are and what your differentiators are, then you start, you can start understanding this, like, who thinks like this? Who does this matter to? And then you start finding individuals that would gravitate towards the message that you're putting out. So then you can go to something like the first 10. So you think about, okay, well, in my network of 100 people, I know uh, these 20 people are really into, you know, sustainability and creating a, a better world. And I think they would be great people, uh, individuals for me providing this water. So that's the way to think about it is, is really start with what is it your unique value propositions? What is it that makes you different from other people? how you stand up against your competitor and then look within your network to start building that out. And then you can start looking into, you know, how can I scale this and, and take it to a larger group of people? Because you need to test whether this resonates with those individuals. Right. And I love that you said like two things that I was going to touch on. So I mm. love that you brought it up. So you, you mentioned value proposition because what you were saying kind of really just, I was like, all right, so basically finding your target audience really is parallel with uh, having your value proposition and then, like you said, working backwards from there. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So I wanted to kind of transition a little bit into what I am like to call 
skillless skills. I'm trying to find a fire name for it. Anyways, um, I want to transition to asking you about what are some skills that are needed in your industry? So communication, people management, are these super important to a marketer? Why or why not? For sure. Uh, Communication is, is for sure important. Um, Yeah. People management is important because you collaborate with people on a daily basis. So you collaborate with sales, product team, uh, design, copy, customer success. There's so many teams that you collaborate with and it's so critical that you're able to have good communication skills, whether that's written or that's verbal, because you're getting across ideas. You are collaborating on a specific idea. You may you know, need to ask them about a specific thing that you need help with. So I think communication is, is huge and people management is huge as well because I've probably named at least four different teams in four different departments that you work with. And within those departments are, are just a number of different people. So I think if you're a leader, of course, people management skills matter. And then just, just people skills in general, being able to, to really engage with people and get the best out of whatever it is that you're producing takes having good communication skills and, and really building those relationships with individuals. Man. And I feel like a lot of people might hear that and be like, well, I'm not good at communicating. I'm not good. I don't have good people management skills yet. They still want to go into marketing. So what would your piece of advice be there? Would it be okay? Maybe this isn't for you or are there ways that you think that people can actively practice developing those skills? Yeah, of course. I think any skill for the most part, you could, you can definitely develop them. It just takes, it takes practice. So if you feel like your writing may not be where it should be, or your, your communication may not be where it should be, it's really putting yourself in a position where you have to do those things all the time. So for example, some people I've heard, you know, if they feel like their, their communication skills are not where they want it to be, they, they, they take a course like, um, or they go to something, a group called Toastmasters. It's like for public speaking. So it puts you in that position to really have to practice and really develop and fine tune those skills. I think if you're missing a skill, that's okay because it's just a matter of the practice and putting in the time and effort to, to build those, any of those skills. Yeah. And thank you actually for mentioning that. Cause that's a tangible for most people in, that yeah. are close to a, to a larger city, almost every city in the entire United States of America, maybe in Canada too, I'm not sure, but um, has a Toastmasters club. And for most of these cities, it doesn't cost money. So if you're listening to this and you live in Kansas City, I'm pretty sure I remember researching and it doesn't cost money. They have them on like Fridays or something like that. Every other Friday or once Friday a month, basically. Mm -hmm. And Toastmasters, you know, they cover a lot of different things. But if you feel like you struggle with, you know, being around people, communicating with people, being able to speak your mind in public spaces, Toastmasters is a great club, a great option for you to go to develop these skills and like a space that's literally specifically for that. So thank you for mentioning that. Is it necessary to keep up with social trends? Like I know that Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about keeping his uh, finger like on the pulse. Um, Mm -hmm. And you hear that term or that phrase used quite a lot. Yeah. Do you think it's necessary, especially as a marketer to like understand and keep up with social trends that are happening on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok? Yeah, I, I think it, it depends on the industry that you're in, where you need to keep a pulse on, on these platforms. So if you think of Gary Vaynerchuk, he is like the king of, of content marketing. And if you're, if you're going to stay in that position, then you have to keep your, your finger on the pulse of what's happening. So TikTok is, is like the new 
you know, social platform that everybody's flocking to. So for him, he has to do that. But if let's say you are a different brand where, you know, you have an older customer base and they're more on Facebook. Well, you should, I think you should be aware of what's going on, but you don't necessarily have to move at the same speed that all these trends are changing yet. It's important to just keep in mind uh, what your industry is, what space that you play in, who your customer is. And then from there, I think it's important to always have a pulse on what's happening and how trends are changing. You adjust depending on, on the variables that I mentioned before. Gotcha. I like that. I like that. I never looked at it that way, but that is a, is a pretty good point. You know, you don't want to spend so much time if you don't need to, like trying to keep up with the speed, the quickness, the transitions that happen within the social world, because it's almost night and day how fast it changes. So if your industry doesn't really depend on that thing, you know, it would be your time would be better spent elsewhere. How important is it to be a great storyteller as a marketer? Would you say it's necessary for every person in marketing, whether you're in creative or analytics? Like, do you have to have a solid understanding of storytelling or not? I think if, especially when you're dealing with a brand, storytelling is, is one of the most powerful things that you can think of. If you look at, I remember there's a Kobe Bryant interview just before he had passed and he was mentioning that, you know, humans are, are just predisposed to, to really engage with other humans based on stories. Everything is like the way that we, that we capture people, whether that's a movie or music or whatever it may be, is storytelling. That's so powerful because it's just, I think it's, I, I can't really look at, I'm not really sure about the history of it, but I feel like it's just encoded in our DNA to, to really gravitate to, towards great storytellers. And when you're communicating your brand, people purchase most a lot of the time on on emotion right like your connection with a brand like you might buy from a specific company because they made you feel a, a specific way and the way that you you um, elicit emotion in people is through great storytelling so that's why storytelling is so powerful so if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're a business think about what your story is don't just think about this my, my product does x y and z and it's really good and you should buy it. Think about how people tell the story about how they, this was a recipe that might've been passed on from a, a late family member, or this might be, you know, something that they took so many years to figure out. And then they finally got, got the right uh, product together. And it allowed people to achieve much more than if it was a car, like it's more than getting from A to B, but it's the point of success for them. And this is how they communicate success. So that's why stories are so important because you go beyond just selling a product or a service. You're, you're connecting to an individual and to, and to people. So being a great storyteller is, to your initial question, is, is one of the most powerful things that you can do as a marketer. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. What would you say are some like virtues or, or character traits that as a marketer um, you have to practice most often? Could you give me a little bit of explanation? Like, what, what do you mean? Yeah, kind of back to the big, first question where, you know, I'm like, is communication and people management necessary? Like, are there any other character traits such as patience or compassion or like, you know, virtues, more virtuous uh, yeah. character traits that you feel like you're practicing a lot in your industry more than another one? Or it can maybe it, maybe it can be directly for you. It doesn't have to be yeah. uh, applied to everyone else, but just uh, general. I think the the big one is is actually practicing empathy with your with your customers. I think that's such a powerful but I would say an undervalued 
thing to do because when you're practicing empathy with your customers, you're always going to do what's best for them. And that I think that should be the foundation of anything that you do. Like your customer has to be the first and most important thing to you. And everything that you give them or drive to them or ask of them has to be with what's in their best interest, not necessarily in trying for you to hit a certain revenue number or trying to hit a certain target. Because when you start doing things like that, I feel like you can make missteps in, in what you're doing and you can lose your customer. So making sure that you're doing the most important thing, putting your customer first is probably if you're talking about virtues and, and, and certain rules that you should have for yourself, I think that's one of them. And then just as a marketer is patience. Patience is such a, uh, an important thing. And that's something that I've had to, to really learn and practice because not everything happens overnight. So if you're doing something like SEO, I think we touched on it really briefly last time, but with SEO, it could take six months, eight months, a year to really see you ranking at the top of a, a search page. It could take six months before you get the right campaign and you get the right best practices in, in everything you're doing, but you, it took so much testing for you to get to that point. So I think just valuing your customer and, and patience are two of the most important things to really practice as a marketer and, and just in general. Perfect. And since you brought it up, for those of for those individuals who were unable to check out part one, and for those who are still listening at this very moment, please go check part one. But would you uh, please go into a little bit more detail about what SEO, like what's the acronym stand for, what it is, and um, what's beneficial about it? Search engine optimization, it, so SEO stands for search engine optimization. What it, it, in a nutshell, what it allows you to do is when somebody is searching a specific search term, when they type in best podcast, you know, Collis pops up number one on the first page. SEO is so important because it, it's something that you invest in over time. And what it allows you to do is, is it allows you to rank higher organically. So you don't have to pay for Facebook ads and Instagram ads and all of this stuff, like when somebody types in a, a search term, you're just naturally popping up. So again, I think it kind of relates back to owning your platforms and reducing what's called your cost per lead. So the amount of money it takes for me to, to make Callis um, a customer or for him to become a lead, uh, the cost of acquisition. So search engine optimization is once you invest in it, once you build that out, you're spending less money to acquire new customers. And, and as a marketer, it's important to think about those type of metrics uh, when you're building any of your platforms or you're trying to sell a product or service. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that because I know that it took me forever to figure out what the hell SEO was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Luckily enough, I always go out of my way to search things up when I don't understand what Gary's talking about or somebody else is talking about on um, YouTube. So for individuals who are looking and seeking for specific advice um, and they have a business, should businesses spend more time improving products or do you think they should spend more time improving advertising and marketing? I think at the core of it, you have to have a good product or service. Otherwise, no amount of marketing, you could have the best marketer in the world pushing your stuff. You may get the first sale, but in terms of loyalty and repeat customers, if you underlying you have a poor product or a poor service, you're not going to, you're not going to sustain that business. So you should most definitely invest in, in having a solid product or service. But then there's the other part of it where it's like, you know, trying to perfect it to the exact point that you want it at is also not viable. You think of like, 
you know, what's called a minimum viable product. So you get it out to test, you, you get it to a point where you can now show your showcase your product to people to figure out and test whether this is something that resonates with people. And then you can invest into building a, a larger product. So when I went to school in Waterloo, uh, there was an individual who was making, you know how you have the coffee machines, like you put the little pods in. So they had something similar for, for making cocktails, but they didn't invest in creating this, this exact polished, finished product. What they did is they took it out. They built what's a, a minimal bottle product. So they literally put tubes into like little machine and they were just filling it up manually. And, but they were able to test and figure out, you know, is this something that people like? Is this something that resonates? And when they figured out, when they validated their market and they said, okay, yeah, this, this really works well, then they invested into the product. So I think it's, it's kind of like two-pronged. You just really need to uh, build a good product. You have to have something that people enjoy, and then you can invest in, in really strong marketing from there. So what I'd say I got from that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. um, what I'd say I got from that is kind of, yeah, you could go ahead and invest more in your marketing and advertising, advertising, but you're only going to have short-term benefits. In terms of long-term, like you said, loyalty, then you definitely want to have a solid product that people appreciate and then build, build on the advertising and marketing as well. So kind of just like, yes, you could just focus on marketing, but it's only going to work in the short-term. Uh, but if, you, if you're wanting long-term benefits like most businesses are, you should definitely have a solid product. Like you have to have a product that people want and that comes, that's first and foremost. And then, you know, marketing will help amplify your message and get people's attention. But again, if you don't have something that people want, um, if you haven't validated that this is the, this is something that the market really needs and wants and will purchase, then I mean, marketing is not going to be able to help you sustain your business from that point onwards. Got you. What would you um, say are some of your favorite reads? It can be articles, it can be books. If it's not books, if that's not the way you uh, consume content, what are, what are some of your favorite ways to consume and apply information that you, that you acquire? So for me, yeah, books is, is a big thing. Um, right now I'm reading Robert Greene. Uh, so he wrote uh, The Laws of Human Nature. He's written uh, 50 Laws of Power. I just love reading anything on human behavior. One, because I just, I just find it fascinating. And I think, two, as a marketer, if you can understand human behavior, you can really break down a lot of things. You can forecast, you can predict, and you can create a lot of great marketing campaigns. I also like reading about specific advertisers that I admire. So Seth Godin's like, This Is Marketing is a great book on branding. David Ogilvy, so the ad exec from many years ago, wrote a book called, uh, I think it's called I Hate Rules. So just books like that, I, I always find uh, interesting. And then I also, I also like to spend time reading some journals on research. Um, so they've done like specific scientific research on, you know, what parts of the brain will start lighting up when they test out a specific marketing message or a specific color or, you know, it just helps you again, understand human behavior. Um, and then I also just like reading just about kind of what's keeping a pulse on, on what's going on in the world. Um, how are things changing, you know, with the economy, uh, how do things change? What are businesses doing? And I think another way that I like to consume is just looking at examples of advertising that I like. And then going back to your point from before was just having a toolbox, right? You, you have a toolbox where you can keep an, an idea of what's going on and, and you can pick and choose going forward after that. Like, so if I see, you know, these companies are doing amazing ads, I can kind of pick and choose, put it in, uh, put it in my toolbox and keep it for the future. And I may or I may not end up using it, but 
reading books, articles, looking at examples of ads are all things that I use to keep uh, myself learning all the time. I love it. I love it. Are you uh, familiar with uh, Jonah Berger? No, no. You'd have to tell me who that is. Yeah, yeah. You should check. I'll send you a, I can't remember the name of the book. I think I have it here, but there's, it's a uh, uh, Contagious. Contagious. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's on my list. That's on my list to, to read. Yeah, so I haven't, I've heard the audio book in full and I'm going through it again, but it's pretty good. I, I, I got on it because of Nipsey Hussle's on the Nipsey Hussle's book list and the $100 Philly cheesesteak is kind of how you got that. that idea for his $100 mixtape. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So. Yeah. so would you say, just kind of just a side question, would you say you've learned a lot in marketing because of hip hop or like, or you take anything from hip hop and apply it to, you know, life as a marketer? I think just the example we talked about right now, like the Nipsey Hustle using the hundred dollar. So he saw, you know, a company was used, tried the hundred dollar cheesesteak and he used, he took that and he used it for his mixtape and he charged a hundred dollars and he added value by, you know, selling merchandise and, and, and tickets with all of that. And I remember when that happened and, and it was huge. I think everybody was talking about it. I think to that point, it's like you look at these examples and, and one I admire the genius in being able to, to recognize a good idea and how to execute on it. And two is like, you think about how you can also try different things and test because marketing is a lot of just testing and, and trying new ideas. So I, I think I'm definitely influenced by what I see in, in hip hop and pop culture and, and other companies that I just admire in what they're doing. I love it. I love it. Last question in regards to, to advice, quote unquote, what are, do you think is the importance of having multiple touch points for potential customers? So I know we were talking about earlier pain points. I know Ani was uh, telling me about having multiple touch points for my podcast. So like when I'm, say I release the podcast, after I release that podcast, before I release it, making sure that I have like some photos or some video snippets, that's like one touch point, then maybe a story, then maybe later in the week having them on an Instagram live and, and referring back. So why do businesses use touch points and like what's the value behind having multiple touch points? Yeah. So I would, I would probably categorize that as like being able to splice your content, being able to maximize the output of what you've done. So think about, one is your time. So we sat here for, let's say, an hour today. Uh, we recorded this, this video call. And then it's how do you maximize the resource that you've created with as, without recreating the wheel, right? So you think about it. So let's say I, like what I do is I record a webinar. And then I will have a one-hour webinar and I'll break that down into 10 different sections. And then I'll share that on social. I'll, sh I'll share that in email. I might put that up in an ad. So I'm maximizing one piece of content that I created into 10 to 12 different pieces. This is something that Gary Vee does all the time and he's maximized that. And what, why it's so important is because one is the number of resources that go into creating the, um, into creating this content. You don't have to spend 10 hours, rather you spend one hour and then some video editing. And then two is you've created hooks as well, right? So, you know, you might take this one splice version that you really like, you put it up on social, and then now you've got the hook that people really like it, and then they come and they view what, what you're doing. So I think that's the other aspect of it, is being able to take content and repurpose it in different uh, ways, and then in different channels, allows you, again, just to maximize the work that you're doing. So you take that one hour and you turn it into 10 hours worth of, of, of content for yourself. 
which reminds me of uh, the little PDF that Gary released called um, 64, how to make 64 pieces of content yep. in a night or whatever, basically, which is fire because that taught me a lot about, like you said, splicing up content, screenshotting Twitter quotes, taking Facebook uh, long form post and turning it into a medium post then turning that into a LinkedIn post. You know what I'm saying? There's really so many ways to create content. There's not really many excuses for any individuals who aren't content marketing right now to not be doing that because like it's already been said, if you don't like video, maybe you like writing, start writing. If you don't like writing, start using audio, like, you know, and just, there's so many different ways to put out content. Yeah. And it's, it's just, again, just maximizing what you do with using as little time as you can. I think if you're an entrepreneur or whatever industry you're in, like you, you don't have the luxury of all 24 hours in your day. So how do you get the most out of that one hour that you use on video creation or content creation, right? So splicing and, and building your content that way is so important. And speaking of content in general and just a multitude of talking about brands and everything, what are some brands that you specifically like or follow on social media and why? So my, my favorite brand of, of all time is, is Nike. It's always, ever since I was a kid, like Nike is just my favorite brand. Just the ability to take some, take a brand and leverage it through celebrity endorsements like LeBron James and they spun it off into Air Jordan, all of those things. And then the genius in what they've done is being able to take this shoe and make it the medium between you and, and that athlete. That's what connects you. That's what makes you get closer to that level of greatness. So I think that is, is genius in what they do. But then I also admire companies that are able to take drier content. So content that's not as fun, like not every, like for example, GE, right? Like not everybody's looking for a washer and dryer and, and they're talking about it with their friends, but how do you make content like that in, uh, interesting? So, you know, they build also like they have a GE aviation piece and they, they talk about their chief testing pilot officer. There's a title like that. And they go into a specific piece about him and, and you know, some of, the, some of the parts that they've manufactured that he now tests, but they're creating the story and they're making it interesting. So I also admire brands that are able to take something and make it interesting and give you a different angle or a different view to increase the engagement that they have on, on, on the product or the service that they're selling. Yeah. I hear sharing gems with the folks. So I'm going to ask you a last question and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. What is your favorite piece of recent content over the past? I'm going to give you a timeline, two months and why. When Nike wrote the play for the world from home, that was just like, I was just in awe of what they did. Like that was the way that they had, written the content and and they put that all out there was just it was is unreal how how they wrote it into such a short little paragraph and they were able to relate it to their brand but also the quarantine and how that was challenging and and just for whoever's watching this like just for reference what they're talking about is during the court when the quarantine had had begun they were talking about you know if you've ever dreamed of playing for millions of fans they were saying like you know play to play from home by, stay, by, by actually staying home and following these rules, like we're all, you know, helping each other by doing that. And just the way that they did that was, was amazing. Um, and then looking into the agency that they work with, um, it's an agency called Whedon and Kennedy. Just that genius behind what they're doing was incredible work. Yeah, I was going to say that's one of my favorites. 
even the most recent one they did in regards to uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and everything that's been going on um, with uh, if there's going to be one time that you don't do it, like make sure, or, or I forgot what it said. Or, anyway, something along the lines, using the just do it with the, with the current situation. And then, but it was yeah. like, it was using other things. It was like being racist, this, this, just don't do that. Finally, for the only time, you know what I'm saying? If there's yeah. any time, make it now. So I, I let, I definitely, they do a freaking great job. I mean, obviously when you're such a top tier company, you know, I'm sure, we, but you know we see top tier companies like fail and fail fail at some and put out some weak things so i guess you know it, it really isn't expected from big companies to put out great stuff because not all of them do but nike does a great job so and, and they do they do it with a lot of um like with class right like they Absolutely. put it out there and they're a brand that stands for something and they're not afraid of of standing for something and they do it with the way they speak about it is is with such class so you can just have nothing but respect for, for what they do. And, they, and, they, and from what I've seen, you know, following it up with, you know, the, the actions and, and really trying to make a positive change from what I see on the outside is, is what it looks like. But yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible work. For sure. I love it. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to go on a super, super small break right before we wrap this up, because I want to ask you a specific, uh, I want to end this a specific way. And then we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up. So for ladies and gentlemen listening right now, thank you for tuning in up to now. We'll be back in just a few short seconds. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys. We are back. I had to do the little pause there because I want to ask uh, Brenova a specific question. I had to grab that notebook. You know what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. So the question or the quote is, I never wanted to alienate my brand for business. I always wanted to keep it authentic and keep it as pure as I could. This quote is by Nipsey Hussle, and I kind of just wanted to ask you your thoughts on it. Just to, it's a new thing I'm going to start doing with my podcast. I wanted to start with you because you're one of my favorites. <laughs> so, yeah, what are your thoughts? If you need me to read it again, I can, but yeah. I think with that quote, what he's talking about is it's a really good quote because it's just staying true to who you are, right? It's really easy to follow a specific trend or pivot or shift your brand based on what you're seeing in the market just so you could get that sale. But I think what was um, extraordinary about somebody like Nipsey Hussle is his ability to stay true to who he was and to his story and to his message. And it took longer and it probably was a lot harder for him to see everything come to fruition, but it happened at the, at the right time. But that was because he stayed true. And that's why, you know, you look, back on, on his life now and, and you look at it and it's such a profound, powerful message that he has that so many people resonate. Like his passing really sparked a whole different movement. And if he had not stayed authentic to his brand, to his message, you know, none of those things would have, would have happened. And luckily he did for all of us. Um, he, he stayed true to it and, and we can all learn from, we can all really learn from, from what he's done. For sure. I love it. All right. So can you share with the people what's next for Brenova? What, what are you planning on, um, you know, in terms of business, in terms of marketing, what's new, what's coming up for you? And then, yeah, man, just, just share yeah. a little bit with the, with the audience. Sure. Uh, so for me, what's next is just it's really continuing to grow, to drive results. That's the biggest thing for me is, is being able to, re to drive tangible results. Um, I'm starting to work with 
small businesses and entrepreneurs in building up their marketing plans and their marketing strategies. So that is step number step number two for me. And just continuing to build that business on the business side for me is is one of the mo- the things that I'm I'm focused on. Perfect. I love it. Well, where can they follow you? Where can the audience? I know this is the second time some of these people will be hearing you. And um, I know that a lot of them appreciated you the first time. So where can they follow you on Instagram? And maybe email if you want to drop that. For sure. Uh, So you can follow my Instagram. So it's Brenava. So B-R-A-N-A-B and then four A's at the end. And then my email is, so my first name, Brenava, just B-R-A-N-A-B-A-A dot uh, d d for david at gmail.com perfect all right thank you so much for part two today my brother you did a great job once again you answered a lot of questions that i had selfishly for myself you also answered a lot of questions that i think will be valuable for the audience um i really appreciate your time and, and, and your patience with uh with with young Collis over here forgetting the <laughs> questions i want to ask <laughs> of course for sure. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me um, on the show, not once, but twice. Um, I appreciate your time. And just anybody who's, who's listening to this that gets value out of this, I, I appreciate you guys listening as well. So thank you. Perfect. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the Culture Talks podcast. Remember to leave a review and a comment on Apple Podcasts because that helps us grow. Besides that, share this with a friend. We love you. Salud.